0: Thank you, Gordon and Barbara and Rachel, for her music this morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream. We're in Luke chapter 2. We'll be to four different passages this morning. You see those either in your bulletin, if you're here with us today, or on the screen if you're watching. And this is Mother's Day, and so I want us to talk about mothers. Uh, my mother... Uh, Would have been 100 years old right now had she been alive, but she died 20 years ago, almost exactly, actually, the first day of the new century, and so she's been gone 20 years. I always wear a white carnation on Mother's Day for uh, for my mother. Uh, Most of what I am, what I know, uh, and what I can do is because not only of my lord but secondly because of my mother she was a special godly woman and i hope uh, those are the memories of your mother also you know the family is under attack today i don't know if you've noticed that or not Uh, i remember in the 1950s my mother used to talk a, a lot about dr spock you remember benjamin spock those of you who are are my age in 1946 he wrote a book titled The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care. It was anything but common sense. But do you know that for 50-some for years after that, it was the best-selling book in the world next to the Bible? And that's how much influence he had on a whole generation of young people. He once said that the family is a human creation. Not that it's God's creation, because he didn't believe that, but it was simply a human creation. It can come, it can go. Someone at the same time also said that the family is a cultural concentration camp. Now, maybe your home was tough, but it wasn't a cultural concentration camp. Well, today, uh, I heard it said this week that uh, the family is simply a creation of the religious right, uh, that it wouldn't even be around if it were not for the religious right. And I think the objective is becoming today to liberate women from the home, to liberate mothers from child care. As a matter of fact, now we have a proposal from our government that we give our kids to the government from age 3 to age 20 and that they pay for everything, and they educate them, and moms, you then have the liberty to get out of the home, go to work, do whatever you want. That becomes politically profitable, and it also becomes, for the family, they think, financially profitable. Well, that's a scary thing when you think about it. Uh, I just finished reading a book on 1930s Germany, and before that, I finished uh, again reading Orwell's 1984 And I think I'm seeing the same thing again sometimes when you see the attitude toward the family. Only it's worse today. We're denying gender altogether. We're denying that there are mothers and fathers altogether. Biology becomes something to conquer rather than to something to understand and appreciate that came from your creator. Well, God's plan is different. And God's plan is that there is such a thing called the family has a father and a mother, a man and a woman, a male and a female. And his plan is that that family would reproduce human beings in the image and likeness of God and every every baby that's conceived, every person that is living is in the image and likeness of God and then raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's God's plan for the family. And then pass on a knowledge of God to the next generation, from the parents to the children, and even grandparents to the grandchildren. You know, in in the Hebrew language, the word for mother is M. We would spell it em, and that means bond, a bond. And in Greek, the word for mother is mater, which means the center, And in a very real way, just by the very words mother in the Bible means the bond of the family and the very center of the family. So motherhood is the woman's primary dominion mandate from God. Now, praise the Lord for all of the messages that are going to be preached around the world today, and I hope across this country, on about mothers from the Word of God, because the Bible does have a lot to say about mothers. And uh, by the way, call your mom today if she's still living and still around and you can't talk to her in person and uh, enjoy, moms, you enjoy those calls or visits that come from the kids today and I think you'll be blessed by it. I was struck as I was thinking about Mother's Day for the last couple weeks, I was struck with a phrase that we found in our Bible reading this morning since we're in Luke chapter 2 And we read 15 to 20, but specifically in verse 19, that's where I've directed you first today, where it says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that's why I titled the message today, A Mother's Heart. That expression is used a few times in the scripture regarding Mary. And so I want us to go to four different passages that show us the heart of Mary as a mother. And I know that when we talk about Mary uh, being the mother of Jesus, that often we think, well, there was never a mother like that and surely never a son like that. And I think that's true. Uh, Jesus was the son of God, after all, and no one has ever been like that. And Mary was specially chosen by God because of who she was to be the one that would bring uh, God's son into the world. And yet, Jesus was our example, was he not? And things that Jesus did and taught, though we can't be Jesus, uh, we should be as much like him as we can be. And Mary becomes a worthy example for us also. And so I want you first to be in Luke chapter 2 at this story. Of course, it extends for a long time in the the Gospels and in in Luke chapter 2 about the child's birth. What is a mother's heart at a child's birth? This is a special time, isn't it? I'm looking at some new infant uh, babies here uh, in our our service today, and some that aren't uh, too much older than that. Uh, Birth is a very special time. And two things that I notice about uh, the situation with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, uh, the first is a natural protection, right? I mean, obviously, mothers are going to protect this little child, this little life. In verse 7... It says she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that same expression is repeated again in, in verse 12, because uh, you can imagine the the trauma that Mary and Joseph found in winter time when she's pregnant and they are traveling away from home and and without the modern conveniences, of course, that we have today. And then this baby comes, and she has to protect this baby. Of course, we think, first of all, that God designed it so that you mothers protect that baby for nine months in the womb, right? That's why God made a woman with a womb, and that's very important. In Psalm 139, uh, David even expressed it, Thou hast possessed my reins." Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. So the first thing the mother does is protect that, that child in the very natural and God-given way of protecting him in the womb. And, and uh, Paul will say, Galatians 1:15, "It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. And so God had us there until it was time to come out of that womb. There's a nursing and a caring that only a mother can give. Uh, dads, we try to hold on and we try to make that baby comfortable. We just can't do it like a mother can do it. Remember when Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2:7, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And you know that feeling and that you know what that's like when that nursing mother cherishes that child and takes care and protects. We see that, that little baby. We see how, how beautiful that little baby is. And, uh, you know, uh, moms and dads will decorate the little baby. And if it's a girl and she might be as bald as a cue ball, they'll put a pink ribbon on, on her head so you know it's a girl. And then put blue things uh, on, uh, on, the, on the boys. Uh, you know why Jesus uh, had to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, don't you? It's, it's because, of course, Joseph forgot to pack the boys' clothes before they left home. You know, you, know, you don't trust these things to men uh, at, at this time. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how to handle it. You know, my mother says I was brought home from the hospital in a paper sack. And the, and the reason was is because Dad was supposed to bring the clothes for me so that they could bring me home from the hospital. This was in Springfield bring me home from the hospital where all the relatives were waiting and he forgot he didn't bring it so you know the hospital has a little a little uh disposable uh, robe you know for babies and it's made it was made out of paper in those days and so she says i was brought home in a paper bag i've always been partial to paper bags i you know it it trained me well but don't ask dad to do these things you know so uh, it is Mary who ponders this. It is Mary who uh, no doubt as the mom protects, and secondly, I say there's a natural planning because verse nineteen says that Mary pondered these things in her heart, she planned these things, she said, what what is this child? Who will it be?" Now she knew a lot because god had had revealed a lot to her, uh, but a mom looks at that excuse me that little baby and says... Uh, what will she be? What will he be? Uh, what will I do? How will I raise this child? Mm-hmm. Notice a couple statements that are made in, in verse 34 of, of Luke chapter 2. You have the older man named Simeon. He's waiting in the temple, and they bring the baby there uh, for the circumcision and so forth. And he said, Bless, he blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's pretty striking language to hear about your baby, isn't it? Well, look also at Anna in verse 38, uh, the older lady that was there, a prophetess, a daughter of Phinell, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived, a uh, husband, uh, seven years from her virginity. And uh, she says in verse 38, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord, spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. You know, when you hear those kinds of things spoken about your child, no wonder you have, by the way, verse 33, Joseph and Mary, uh, or his mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. A story that I, I like and I, I've seen many times has to do with, with Charles Spurgeon when he was just a baby. His father was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. And so uh, they often uh, had evangelists and missionaries and others come and stay in their home. And there's a story told about a Mr. Nil K-N-I-L-L. They really know no nothing else about him other than He was an evangelist, and he would come and stay in their home. And one time when Charles was just a a small child, uh, Mr. Nill, while they were talking one evening, put his hand on Charles's head and said, this child will one day preach the gospel and will preach to great multitudes. Quite a thing to say about a little boy like that, and it came true, of course. And so the mom wonders, the dad wonders, what about this child? Uh, All of these things and many more go through our minds and hearts uh, for those of us who have experienced those those moments of joy uh, when the baby comes. But I want us to move on to the second uh, stage of the mother's heart, which we also find in Luke chapter 2. And notice in verse 51, at the end of this story, it will say again, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, the story is from verse 41 to 51, and this is the story of when Jesus was 12 years old, and uh, they thought he was with them as they traveled back home, but he wasn't, and they returned, and he's at Jerusalem, and he's listening and instructing the scribes in Jerusalem. Quite a story, really. Notice two things first. One is in verse 40 where it says the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, the grace of God was upon him. You can imagine that of Jesus. And then also in verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And, you know, it's interesting that this is the only information we have about Jesus' childhood. Other than those early chapters when he was a baby, of course, Uh, But from that time to when he's 30 years old, where we'll go next, uh, we know nothing about what he did as a child other than this passage. We know a little bit about Mary and Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. They lived in Nazareth. Uh, We know those things. Uh, But this is the only glimpse we have into this boy at 12 years old. And yet it says even at 12 years old, when Mary sees the things that are happening here, she ponders this in her heart. She keeps this in her heart saying, what is this child going to do? This is amazing. And so notice a couple things, and, and I, I, I take the first one from verse 40. Of course he had natural ability. Of course, as Jesus was, was growing, uh, he was probably a handsome boy, a good-looking boy. He was a Jewish boy, uh, very typical in, in many ways, other than he was without sin, uh, I don't think any of you were at 12 years old, were you, without sin? I think, I think by then all of us had had our dose, and uh, we were sinners. You know, an interesting expression is twice in the Gospels, once in Mark 6, where they come to Jesus later when he's an adult and he's teaching, and they said, is not this the carpenter? Now think about that. Here he is at 30-plus years old and he's teaching these wonderful things. And they say that, you know, his neighbors and friends say, isn't this the carpenter? Well, we, knew, we know that, that in his childhood, he grew up in the carpenter shop. And I have, I have said before, often, no doubt there was no carpenter like him. No doubt there was no one that made yokes like he made yokes. And then he could say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's, uh, you'll find it easy and lowly of heart. Well, uh, yeah, he he was that kind of a person. So here he is in, in the carpenter's shop. That's interesting itself. And then um, look at verse 44. When You remember when they have left Jerusalem, they're, they're going back up to Galilee, and the families would travel together, groups of 40, 50, partly for protection, partly for uh, fellowship together. And they come to the camp the first night, because this was more like a three-day journey uh, to get to Jerusalem. Supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. You know what I see there? I see that, that this boy had the trust of his parents, How many of you of a 12-year-old would not look to see where he was all day long until you got to where you're going that night? But they trusted this boy, and no doubt they could. No doubt Mary and Joseph by this time knew uh, a lot about this child and had watched him and knew that they could trust him. Joseph had put things into his hands uh, as as a 12-year-old. And by the way, at 12 years old, the Jewish boy became a child of the law, son of the law, which meant that at his bar mitzvah he would become a man and he would take part in the business and he would do the things that his father taught him to do. And so 12 years old uh, was, was a swing year anyway for kids. Could you trust your 12-year-old like that? You know, moms and dads, what, how have we trained our kids? How have they grown up in for, uh, for us? When they reach 12 years old, are you going to be able to have the kind of confidence in them that that you should have? Well, not only his natural ability, but also his early wisdom we see uh, in verses 46 and 47 when they find him back in Jerusalem. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teacher's, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Well, that's, that, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? A 12-year-old, someone who's just now passing that phase of life, and here he is, of course, this is Jesus. This is God's son. But look down at verse 49. or Well, we'll read on, verse 48. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That's a mother's heart. There's no doubt mom was concerned. But verse 49 says, he said to them, why is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? My father's business? Of course, he didn't mean Joseph, did he? And he didn't mean the carpenter shop, did he? He meant what God had called him to do. When he speaks of God as his Father, it's going to become a unique thing in the Gospels. Luke 10, says, Jesus was saying, All things are delivered to me of my Father. No man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And so now he's saying to, to Mary, Mary, you ought to know of all people. I have a heavenly father and I am his son and I must be about that business as even as a 12 year old and as a boy, though he will spend the rest of his years with them in Nazareth. That is quite a statement when you think about it. So let me just finish the second thought this way, moms and dads, what do you believe is God's intention for your 12 year old? or your 15-year-old, or your 4-year-old, or your 1-year-old? What is it God wants out of your child? We're not Jesus, and we're not as wise as Mary and Joseph probably, but you have a child who's made in God's image, and God made you the protector and the educator of that child. What does God want for that? All I'm saying is, Are you willing to at least protect that child and at some point present that child to the Lord and say, God, would you use this child? Would you use this boy or this girl? And I think all of us ought to be willing to say that before God. The teen years are coming. And when the teen years get here, it's pretty rough water for a while. And those early years up until that time are very important that we offer this little one to God. Well, an interesting story here As Mary, it says again in verse 51, she kept all these things in her heart. The time he was a baby, she said this. The time he's 12 years old, he's saying this. And no doubt he was in her heart, close to her heart. But she's wondering just exactly what's going to happen in this child's life. Well, go with me to the third. uh, And now we must uh, skip to the Gospel of John. So we were in Luke chapter 2. Let's go to John chapter 2. And I call this, Jesus is now 30 years old, and Mary is going to have an encounter with her adult son, that is, Jesus as an adult. At 30 years old, uh, a man could become a rabbi, he could become a teacher in Israel, and Jesus will begin his public ministry at this time. And so we have in the first part of John chapter 2, that story of when they are invited to a wedding feast. And they run out of wine, I believe grape juice, but they ran out of uh, the fruit of the vine, and uh, they uh, brought it before Jesus, and Jesus changes the water into wine. You know this story. Actually, it's the first miracle Jesus created, or, or did, that is outwardly. He manifested his omniscience and omnipotence in other ways. He manifested that he knew things that he couldn't have known otherwise unless he was God. But he hasn't done an outward miracle like this where people see it and and see exactly what's happened and know that a miracle has taken place. That's what happens in this story. I won't read the whole story with you, but uh, verse 3, 4, and 5, when they ran out of wine... The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. He comes, evidently, they had come to Mary. And Mary knew it. And so, what does Mary do? She goes to her adult son and says, Here's the problem. They don't have any wine. Verse 4 Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? But in verse 5, his mother said to his servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, a couple thoughts here. First of all, uh, I see that uh, he has a well earned confidence that Mary has in him. Uh, My son will know what to do. She hears it in her ear. There's a tragedy here in this, in this marriage supper. People are here for days, and they're here to feast throughout these days. You know how it would be if you had all these people come over to your house, and then all of a sudden you don't have anything to give them, or you forgot uh, this or that. And immediately her mind goes to Jesus. He will know what to do. I'm saying that this is a mother's heart when the child becomes an adult. There's a, there's a kind of a change here. As a matter of fact, there's a role reversal here. And I remember these times in my life, don't you, when all of a sudden, rather than mom will know what to do, now mom comes and says, my son will know what to do. That happens in your life, moms. That happens at a time when those kids become independent, when uh, they have to go out on their own, they have to make decisions on their own. You know, I, I recall a few of these, but I remember one uh, when my mom and dad were just retired and came out to Denver, where we lived, and I was teaching in a Bible college there, they came out to Denver, and we went out to dinner. And uh, uh, just, uh, I guess, uh, the four of us and two little kids. We went out to dinner, and at the end, I said, uh, I'm, uh, the check is mine. I'm going to pay for it. And my dad came to me after dinner and said, That is the first time in my life that one of my kids paid for my dinner. I hadn't thought about such a thing. And if my older brother is listening to this right now, shame on you, Don, for not knowing. You had five years ahead of me to do this, so you didn't. All right. Well, I'm sure he did many times after. But uh, it's a role reversal. All of a sudden, you realize, you know, sometimes your parents need you as much as you needed them. And that's coming upon Mary at this point. That's coming upon Jesus, of course, at this point. Now, I say, secondly, her well-founded critique. I had it written, first of all, her well-humored critique, but I changed that back because maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But notice uh, again, verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman. And I said to myself, whoa. Now, I don't know about you, but if I use that term toward my mother Uh, my mouth would have been tasting like lye soap by now you know to to call your mother that right it sounds very harsh but folks it's it's not as harsh in that language or culture than it sounds to us today uh, to call your mother woman as a matter of fact it was pretty common and Jesus will use it again in our next point down below from the cross as he speaks to his mother So it's not an unusual thing for him, but rather it is a reminder of who he is and what his job is to do. Luther said, although there is no higher power on earth than father's and mother's power, even this is at an end when God's work begins. And now his work is going to begin. And what What he reminds Mary of is that uh, God is my father and you are a woman that I've come to save. As a matter of fact, notice this expression, what does your concern have to do with me? I don't think we should take that as this isn't my concern, this turning, you know, the fact that they don't have any more wine. But rather, this is not your concern. This is not your business. My father's business is mine, not yours. Isn't that something? Jesus is there with six of his 12 disciples because he had half of them called at this time. He's already left home and he's uh, uh, begun his his, uh, public ministry and even his disciples are there with him and he says, you know, miracles are not your concern, miracles are my concern. Miracles had a unique uh, uh, reason, and that unique reason was to show that he was Messiah and that he really was the Son of God, and when you see these miracles, you need to believe on him. They were for a specific purpose, and this turning water into wine is not a specific purpose. I think that's basically what he's saying. I'll do it, but this isn't your business. This is my business. You leave that to me. I think that's pretty striking for a son to say to his mother at this point. And then he says, my hour has not yet come. That has to mean, because it does almost in every place it appears in the Gospels, it has to mean the hour of his suffering, the hour that he gives his life on the cross. And that time is a time where it will be my ministry, not yours, where I will die for you, you won't die for me. And he says, my time has not yet come. Now, there's one other thought here, and that's in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, well, whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> someone, someone, a writer, called this a genuine feminine quickness. <laughs> do you understand what he's getting at? Kind of a filial uh, sparring between a mother and a son. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. That's why I changed the word humor back uh, to founded. But, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. You might have done this with your mom, or, Mom, you might have done this with your children. My, my mother was pretty quick at things and uh, always had a comeback to anything that you said, you know. And uh, she, she would say things, you know, I, I remember once when uh, she pointed out a girl in high school that I wasn't interested in. And I said, "Well, I don't think she's pretty." And and she said, "Well, it's hard to love the unlovely, isn't it? You know, I still remember. I still remember that <laughs> that uh, saying." And she had another one like it. She says, "Well, there's not a, a pot so crooked but what there's a lid to fit it." You know, the, she was always sparring about anything that you happen to say to her. As a matter of fact, the worst one was uh, because I, I I don't have a natural sense of humor. Uh, maybe my mom's comes through or my dad's now and then. But, uh, you know, I remember her saying, well, a fool's wit is always slow. I thought, yeah, I guess so. So do do moms and dads always have these kind of quippy comebacks to, to, to things like that? I don't know if the writer is correct in saying that's what Mary was doing here. After all, this is Jesus, the Son of God, and this is Mary, and maybe maybe they weren't, but maybe she was. I, I think this, when she turned around and said to these men, the servants that were there, whatever he says, do it, that expression, do it, is an imperative, that is a command, and it could be translated, you do it at once. And not only that, whatever he says, as crazy as it may sound, if you're smart, you'll do it. Now, here's a mom saying to her adult son, I know him. Uh, I trust him. And I'm telling you, uh, it may sound crazy to you to go fill a whole bunch of big old water pots with water when what you need is wine. But if that's what he says to you, you do it. And you do it quickly. And so at least she, of course, had that sense. Let me end this point by just saying this. Could you not follow Mary's advice? And whatever her son has said to you, do it and do it quickly. And however silly it may sound to you, in the commands that he gives you, if he says do it, you do it and do it quickly. All right, let's go to the last one. We need to go back to chapter 19 in the book of of John, and here we find Jesus on the cross. And so... My last thought of the mother's heart is when she sees her son dying on the cross. A tender scene here we find in verses 26 and 27, 25, 26, 27, uh, when he looks down and he sees Mary and John and a few others standing at the foot of his cross, and he takes time to address and take care of his mother. Linsky, the commentator, said, Nothing more tender and touching is found in the gospel story than this love of Jesus for his mother. The time of his death, the time when he's bearing our sins on the tree, he has this time to look after his mother. Now, you know, usually... It's the parent that dies first, right? I mean, that's just the way life is. And by the way, Joseph has died by this time. Uh, The last time we see Joseph, again, when he was 12 years old, we don't see him again in the life of Christ. And so he has passed away, but Mary has not. And uh, now it just happens to be that the child dies first. This isn't the way life is designed, but it happens this way. As a matter of fact, I know many people, and you do too, have lost their kids. And for a mother to say it's just not right for the child to die before the mother, it happens. And great friends of ours uh, out in Colorado had two sons and lost both of those sons, and they both are still alive and serving the Lord greatly. But what, a, what a, uh, a hard thing that is to bear. Well, it no doubt was hard for Mary, and we learn a lot from that. But we learn a lot also from Joseph taking care of his, his uh, mother at this time. Notice just a couple things. First of all, there's a responsibility involved. And so here we see Jesus' last filial responsibility to his mother that he would do in her dying days, but now he has to do in his own dying days. And that is, you know, a mother and father are your responsibility. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, Standing by, comma, and some people put that sentence together as he saw John and his mother whom he loved. That is, he loved them both. John does describe himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, but no doubt Jesus loved his mother. And maybe that's why the comma comes clear at the end of that that phrase. So he sees them and he does what a son ought to do remember these words from paul in first timothy chapter 5 if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house he hath denied the faith he's worse than an infidel and so could we expect anything less of of Jesus himself, of course, in this situation. And so there they are standing by, probably the two people that were closest to him of all of of his uh, relation and friends. Here's Mary and, uh, by the way, his cousin, uh, John, standing there at the cross. Now, I say that, uh, and and by the way, let let me go uh, a little bit farther in verse 26. They were standing by and he said to his mother, woman, Here we find it again, don't we? On the cross. And why is it so appropriate at this time? Because she is a person that Jesus is dying for. And he is fulfilling his office as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world. And no one can do this but him. And it's totally acceptable, of course, to them and to her at this time. Now, here's an interesting thing. Here's John. And John is the younger of James and John. That's why James is usually mentioned first. And uh, you might remember that his mother is Salome, Zebedee and Salome. As a matter of fact, Matthew will tell us in Matthew 27 that at the foot of the cross was the mother of Zebedee's sons. In other words, John's actual mother is there also at the foot of the cross. And here is Mary at the foot of the cross. And in case you haven't remembered, that Mary and Salome were sisters. And the other sister is named Mary. And so the three sisters are Mary, the Mary we know, Mary uh, also, uh, and then Salome, the three sisters. And so that makes John the cousin of Jesus, part of the disciples' group here if we understand our genealogies and understand the words of the, of the text properly. And so now he says, John, I know your mother is over here, but look, this is your mother. You take care of this woman as you would your own mother standing over here. I like the way someone put it. He said, love is not halved by adding more objects. Love is not halved. You don't have half your love for this one and half your love for this one. You have all your love for this one and all your love for this one. Isn't that true of your children? Your love isn't halved because you now have two children rather than one. You have full love for both of them. And that's what's happening to John here. And we see, of course, in the life of John that he was faithful to this and he did it all of his life. And so, what I'm saying here is, here is Jesus, in the moment of his suffering, in the moment of his dying, saying, I'm going to take care of this woman, and you're going to live with John, and John, you're going to take care of her. And he did. He didn't even begin his public ministry until Mary was gone. And then he'd take care of his own mother also. And so here's a mother's heart, in watching her son die, but even if, if uh, mom goes first, we owe this to our mothers. Well, these four things that I've described about a mother's heart, I think uh, are uh, unique to Mary and unique to mothers, because this is the way we think when our children are born all the way to when our children die or we die before them. Now it's May 9th, isn't it? 2021, And we're still following what the Bible says about families, mothers and fathers and children. We're still planning times to honor our mothers and our fathers. And we love the mother's heart that Mary so wonderfully displayed in the Gospels as she was mother to Jesus and other boys and girls. This is God's will. It's God's revealed will to us. Let's never let it go. Stand with me, if you will, as we stand and think about these things. We will go to the Lord in prayer. We will sing a song together. I trust that uh, the, the passages of Scripture has stirred your heart the way God wants this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these wonderful stories that we have in such a unique, inspired way because this was Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. What a wonderful story. Uh, savior he is to us but also what a wonderful example though we can never be what he was we'll strive for it till we die and father we thank you for mary example of a godly woman who also needed a savior whose own son died for her sins we thank you father that she had the heart that she did all through her life so father thank you for our memories also of our mothers but also Make us mothers and fathers that we should be before you in following these examples. Now, speak to our hearts in the way that we need. If someone doesn't know you as Savior today, no matter where they are and what message they are hearing today, I pray that your spirit would bring the word of God to a lost heart and convince them of the need of a Savior. And, Father, then that you would burden our hearts to be better followers of your word. So have your will in your way as we sing these songs, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, our invitation is open, and it is also after our service, so you respond in the way God is leading you to respond as Gordon comes and leads us in the song.